Hey everyone, my name is Matt Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this sermon both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. Enjoy this sermon. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you guys on a beautiful spring evening. You could be anywhere else in the city of Portland, and you've chosen to be here. And so I do consider it an honor and privilege that you would be here because, we let's be real, we all want to be outside, like in our gardens and in our yards and around fire pits and doing things, you know, as a glimpse of summer is coming upon us at this time of year. Uh, it is spring breaks for both Portland Public Schools and for the colleges, and so you'll notice that college students, they kind of go with the wave and the flow, so they're missing in action. We do wish them well and hope that they will return to us safely next week. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're right in the middle of a series in the book of Ephesians, which we've been calling United in Christ. This is actually our sixth sermon in this uh, series. And tonight we'll be opening chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and open them there or open your app on your phone and find Ephesians chapter three. If you don't have your Bible, we have blue ones in the back. Feel free to keep it if you don't own a Bible. That is our gift to you. Uh, this is an incredible letter in case you have missed any of the sermons. Uh, this is a letter that was written to a church in a context very similar to ours. And so if you have missed any sermons and you consider yourself part of Sojourn, we're actually recording these now. Not so much that I can just hear myself talk. You know, there's always kind of this, do I really want to do this and make this public online? But it was requested. I do think it's a great way to keep, keep in line with the heart of your church, what God is teaching us, teaching myself and teaching us as a body through this letter. And so recording those, there's been a little bit of uh, technical... Tech, technical difficulties. And so we don't have it on iTunes yet. We have one sermon on our website. So if you want to go listen to the introduction to Ephesians over and over again, you're welcome to do that. And then hopefully we'll have the next set of uh, those loaded in the next couple of weeks. It's not uncommon on a Saturday night for my wife and I, after our kids go to bed, to sit on the couch and we turn on the TV. Many of you probably do the same thing, at least those of you with kids. And it's not uh, uncommon we turn on our favorite murder mystery show. You all hopefully know what I'm talking about by now, Dateline. My <laughs> wife absolutely loves Dateline, which is kind of a weird show for her to like. She loves Bachelor and then she watches Dateline. <laughs> I don't get it myself, but Dateline, it's, it's these real life murders that have been solved. And so they all kind of start with the loving story of an individual. You know, they kind of tell their life story and then unfortunately a tragedy takes place, but you kind of know that you're set up for it. It's a murder mystery. So you know, they, they've always, someone's tragically been killed. And then an investigation occurs. And so th these are normally not simple crimes, at least not initially, to solve. Otherwise, they wouldn't feature them on the show. They want you to feature ones that you say, man, what happened here? they got to keep you engaged every single week. And so last night we watched an episode about a father of seven who, unfortunately, their, their marriage, after 20 years, the, the family got divorced, and the father lived in one house, and the mom lived in another, and a few of the kids lived in one, and a few of the kids lived in the other. And then suddenly the father went missing. They have no idea what happened to him. Where is he? Is he gone? Did he... Did did he go crazy? And then a week later, they start wondering, let's get inside of his house. And so they go to the first floor. 
it's clean. They go to the second floor, it's clean. It doesn't appear anything went wrong here. And then they get to the basement level, and on the first inspection, it looks like everything's in order. Every, it just looks like a normal basement. Until they uncover on a, on a wall, there's some shelving, and they find a little splatter of blood, which then caused a deeper investigation. And so they, they, they were able to get all the evidence. And so we start out with a lot of mystery and confusion. Eventually, as they got more and more evidence, it was revealed to them that uh, a murder took place here. And we actually think a pretty brutal murder happened at this place. So eventually things got pieced together and clarity came out of the mystery of what they found in that basement. And so tonight as we continue the series in Ephesians, we're going to see that the mystery of the gospel being revealed, which is why I've titled the, ser- the sermon tonight, The Mystery and Clarity of Christ, because what we'll see is that God has revealed himself to Paul and the Ephesians and to us, and we're going to see that he revealed himself to us with a purpose. It's not just so that we can hoard it for ourselves and that we can, we can gather in this building and say, cool, we've got the secret sauce and we know the answer now, but we're going to keep it ourselves. God gave it to them, revealed it to them, revealed it to Paul, and said, but now you're sent. There's a purpose that you have this. And the big picture we're going to see tonight is that God has revealed ultimately truth, and the truth being himself. And, and if you think about truth, in some ways truth seems impossible. Just think about your daily life, the people you interact with, think about our culture, our city. People deny truth all the time. There is no way there's a ultimate truth. So it seems impossible. Truth seems difficult. We, we've been given a very difficult task as those that are sent out as once the truth has been revealed to, to go and convince others that there is this thing called truth, what we call the gospel, the good news. Until we actually see that it is done, meaning that Christ reveals himself to individuals. And we have a, a part in that. Hudson Taylor, you might be familiar with him, who was a missionary to China for 51 years. He saw 18,000 Chinese conversions in his 51 years as a missionary. That's a heck of a lot of conversions. And so I'm thinking, okay, we're in Portland. I think Sojourn has seen two professions of faith, so two conversions. All right, this should encourage us. Let's labor as a church for the next 51 years, and maybe we'll see 18,000. We'll be Portland's first like mega, mega church. That's not our goal, by the way. So he was one of the most influential missionaries in the 19th century. And here's what Taylor was known for saying. There are three stages to every great work of God. He said, first, it is impossible. Second, then it is difficult. Then it is done. And so I want us to keep that in mind as a church family, that we, we, are, we have been given this very daunting task of, of one, just really making disciples that make disciples, which we're going to form together into this thing called church. And it seems impossible. It, it, it really does. In our city, in our culture, there's days that at least I want to give up, if I can just be transparent with you guys. It is very difficult. The work, the work is challenging. In your jobs, where you work, your neighbors, this is, this is not an easy message to convey in our culture, in our context. Until then, eventually we see that it's done. So that's our prayer, as that through the power and revelation of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in our city, that it would be done. That it, and it wouldn't be that, that I get credit, that you get credit, that Sojourn gets credit, or East Bridge, or any other church. It would be that God rained down on our city, and God revealed himself to the people in our city. That's why we meet on Tuesday mornings for prayer, by the way, just to plug that in addition to the slide. We meet with other area churches to say it's not about this leader or that leader. It's not about big churches or small churches. It is about Jesus Christ reigning down in our city and making himself known in this place. And I'd argue that every single person, so every relationship you, you have, every person you know is searching for truth. Every person desires to know truth regardless of what they claim or say they believe. So when we meet people who say there's not truth or I don't really care, that is a lie. 
I promise you, every single person, deep down inside, when they're alone in their bedroom, they're thinking through, what, what is truth and is there such a thing? And many people think that truth lies within people of influence. We think those with the most money, they have influence, so they must know truth. I mean, they've got the power, the prestige, they're, they're driving Teslas, they live on the west side of town, way up in the hills, and have really nice big houses, right? They're not renting anymore. They could, they could easily buy our house with just, you know, just change. Those with the most fame. We think, well, that, that's where truth lies because they've, they've got fame, so that, that they must know something that I don't know. I did something wrong. Or those with the biggest social media following. You know, man, they have 20,000 Instagram followers. I think I've got 400. Okay, so I'm, I'm working my way there. You think that's the person with influence. You know, now that may give you some good media strategies or whatever to get followers, but we think maybe that's the person with truth. Or many of us, our standard of truth has developed from our social norms around us. Maybe from our parents or from our upbringing. You say, well, mom and dad did it this way, and, and so there's one or two ways you either rebel and go against them, or you say, that's truth. They, they know truth. Or maybe a professor was very influential in your life, or maybe your peers. You think, my peers, maybe they have real truth. And so Paul is going to start this section of our letter tonight by making what appears to be a hard shift from the set of verses last week. So if you're with us last week, we're talking about he creates unity, there's no Jew, there's no longer Gentile, they're, they're all one in Christ. And all of a sudden he takes this hard shift, and he, and he starts out here, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so it appears, it appears in mid-sentence that he's got some form of ADD. That, that, that's kind of how a lot of us are. You know, you're, you're talking with someone, you're talking about this, and then you see a squirrel go by, and, and all of a sudden you chase it and you go that direction. Right? I do this frequently. And so I'm not saying Paul actually has ADD, but all of a sudden it's like his, his senses are long, they're eloquent, and it takes his hard shift. But what he's actually doing is he's anticipating a common objection to his own authority. Basically, he is, he's anticipating them questioning, who are you again? How is it that you were able to say this? And by whose authority are you saying this? And so Paul is taking a moment to explain his calling and ministry as an apostle. Specifically, he's explaining that to the Gentiles. And although Paul was in prison at times, that's not what he's really talking about in this verse. He's, he's, not, he's not talking about the imprisonment he received for proclaiming Jesus. He's essentially, he's saying that his imprisonment is a way of fulfilling his apostolic calling and faithfulness to the Gentiles as an imprisonment. Brian Chappell of this idea says that Paul uh, was, was looking at it like this. Dying to self involves a willingness to sacrifice privilege. And so Paul's recognizing that while he does, he does have certain rights and privileges as an individual, as a human, as a man, he's got certain rights and privileges, but he says, you know what, I'm choosing to die to many of those, a form of imprisonment, in order to actually be faithful to the call that I've received as an apostle, in this case to the Gentiles. And so he's basically saying, I have freedom to do these things, but I'm setting aside some of them, which is a form of imprisonment and bondage, but he's not saying that in a way that negative, he's saying like, this is a pleasure, because this is how God has put a calling on my life. Paul was what we would call a really, really good missionary. So in case you've ever wondered what a definition of missionary is, Paul would be it. He's the best that there was. And we could all learn something about how to operate as missionaries in our call to the city of Portland. Because you're going to hear that over and over again, that we're all called to be missionaries to the city, regardless of your, your vocation, regardless of your title, regardless of how you're getting paid. And you might say, but I'm from Portland. Or maybe you're saying, I moved here for school, or I moved here for work. What does this talk about being a missionary to Portland? I would say, if you are a follower of Jesus, then God in His sovereignty has placed you in the city of Portland with a strategic purpose that is both bigger than you and it's bigger than your school and it's bigger than your work. I don't care if you were born here. I don't care if you got here yesterday. God has placed you here with a reason for a purpose and it's to serve Him and to give Him glory. 
And so my question is, are you willing to sacrifice privileges, whatever that may look like for you, it probably looks different for all of us, in order to live as sent ones to the city of Portland? Are you willing to set aside certain things that maybe you say, I have the right to do this as an individual. I have the right to do this as a family. Are you willing to sacrifice those things in order to live out your sentness in the city of Portland? to the people God has placed you around. We see Paul transition in verse 3 to talk about how the mystery was made known to him by revelation. First, there's a mystery of Christ revealing himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. So if you know anything about the story of Paul and Paul's um, own testimony as a follower of Jesus, there's a revelation that Paul received. And if you think about Paul's revelation, we've all received a revelation. If you consider yourself in Christ, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, it may not look the same as Paul, it may not have been so drastic, but at some point God revealed himself to you. It was nothing on his own efforts, nothing on your own efforts. It was the grace of God revealing it to him. As we've seen throughout the book of Ephesians, it's just, there's, there's grace all over it. Second, there's a mystery that's now revealed that points back to what we saw last week. That Christ has come to unify the Jews and the Gentiles in one body through the gospel. So when we talk about Jews and Gentiles, that there was this really this strife towards them, hatred towards one another, that we've never seen anything like the scale of the Jews and Gentiles. But Christ came to unify them, to break down the walls, regardless of our government's building them. We talked about that a little bit last week. To break down the walls and to unify people in himself. And Paul roots his message in Revelation, which he's going to unpack for us. And he says, I know this only because God has chosen to reveal himself to me. So Paul said, I didn't just wake up one day and, and have this idea. He said, God revealed himself to me. It changed me. It worked in me. And now God is changing you and working in you. And so with the Jews and Gentiles, he's saying, really, I'm creating a new humanity. And I'm creating a humanity for myself. And Paul is also making sure to establish his message did not originate with him. Paul wasn't just someone who came up with these great ideas, but it was by God's grace that Paul was chosen to, in turn, to reveal this message to the world. So Paul was chosen with a very specific purpose. The reason Paul is considered one of the best missionaries is that he, as he was chosen, had this drastic uh, life-altering testimony. He's now following Jesus. Jesus put this call on him, and then Paul went on to be really a church planner. He went and started churches all over the place. In verse 4, he says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so it was a mystery because previously it had not been seen clearly. But, but now Paul's saying there is a mystery. So he recognizes that for us. There is a mystery. But it has been revealed. So the mystery has been revealed to us. And now clarity has been brought to the mystery by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't deny that, that there is this point where there is this mystery. Once again, I think about those in our city who don't know Christ. Whenever I pray on Tuesdays, I'm always praying, God, remove the blinders from the people. Open their ears. Open their hearts. Because they're still in this fogginess of, of this mystery of, of what is this message that these people proclaim about, about Jesus? What is, what is this message about the good news? But he's telling us here that Paul was just that way and you were that way. But then it was revealed. Christ made it clear. And so clarity was brought to the mystery by Jesus himself. A common question I receive as a, as a Christ follower then also as a pastor is how can you know for sure this is true? How can you know the message that you proclaim is true? How can you invest so much time in wanting to proclaim this message? So think of it this way. If we were all born in this room, and let's say this is our universe. This is our world. This is all that we ever know. So your current age, this, this building is all that you've ever known. 
And let's say the windows are closed off. You can't, you can't see through these windows anyway, but let's say you can't see through those windows. So we're kind of in this, this biodome, if you guys remember that old, that old movie. So we're kind of in this, this universe in this world. So all we know is its size and these relationships in this room. So imagine these are all the only people you ever knew. So if you're in here with your spouse, you're like, yes, I was one of the lucky ones. I got married and I had children. If you're single, you're like, dang it. I never, I never didn't get to that point and they haven't populated the world enough. But we would sense that there's something outside of this world because of our environment. We would, we would hear the rumble of the road of, of 33rd Avenue right here, but we wouldn't know what that is. We would just hear this rumble and think like, what is, is, is that this bigger being than us? Like, I don't know. We'd hear the rumble. And then we also get warmer and colder. And we wouldn't understand that other than there's something about our environment in the morning when the sun comes up. It's like, oh, it's getting a little bit warmer. And then the sun goes down. All of a sudden we're getting a little bit colder. And, you know, as the seasons change, we're like, sometimes it's really cold in here. And other times it's really hot in here. And we don't really know what that is exactly. We're, we're just confused. But one day, let's just say someone comes in through the back door here. And so we'd all turn our heads if it happened right now and kind of see the light coming in. An individual comes in. And we got a couple of things. One, we all get a new relationship. So if you're like my children and if you're like me or an extrovert, you're like, yes, new friend. This is great. What's your name? Welcome. Come get some coffee. We're excited. We have a new relationship because let's be real. We're probably tired of each other at this point if we've only known each other. But then also, suddenly we are going to bring, we're going to be able to get clarity to what is happening on the outside world. This individual can explain to us, oh, there's actually this thing called a road and cars. And I don't know how much knowledge we have in this world of ours, but he's going to explain that, that there's a major road right here next to our building, and they're stopping at a stoplight. And so you're just kind of hearing the rumble of the cars. You live around a bunch of houses. And there are a lot of people, these other beings. He also explained the temperature change. Like, oh, the sun, there's this big ball in the sky. The sun comes up and it has heat, so it warms the building. And the sun goes down at night, and so it gets cooler in, in the building. That's what's happening there. And because this person has been on the outside, they now have the knowledge and ability to bring clarity to what was mystery for all of us. We had no idea, and all of a sudden this person has someone of knowledge of what's, what's been out there, of the unknown for all of our, our existence. Think about Jesus Christ. He stepped out of heaven into earth in order to bring clarity to that which was mystery. We can have absolute certainty of this because of what he did on the cross. Nature itself points to Jesus as our answer. Jesus, as we saw last week, he is the cornerstone by which we build and base our lives. He is the cornerstone. He chooses us as followers to be those building blocks, this thing we call the church. We now have the answers. Jesus brings that clarity to where there was mystery. And you may feel ill-equipped and uncertain at times in your own faith. And that's okay. But he's telling us there is no question that you can't bring against our faith. Maybe you've heard a professor. This is a very common theme. Well, I took this class and I heard my professor. He said this and he refuted all of these claims. And, and now I'm not so sure. Or maybe you've read a New York, best, New York Times bestselling book. And you, as you're reading the book, you're like, oh my goodness. They're refuting everything that Christianity says and that I believe. I'm, I'm not so sure about this. And I'm not meaning to be harsh if you find yourself in that boat. But if you listen to a one-hour lecture or you read a book and all of a sudden you're questioning all the claims of Christianity and what you believe, I'm not sure you ever believed in the first place. If it can be that shaken that quickly, to shift around that quickly. And here's the thing. We're four weeks from Easter. So what's going to happen is you're going to turn on the news. You're going to turn on some media outlet. And there's going to be a special on why Jesus didn't really exist or why Jesus was a person, but he didn't actually raise from the dead. Right? Every year around this time, they're going to be trying to refute the claims of Jesus. But the truth is not fearful of being questioned. Right? 
We can welcome the skeptics. And if you're dealing with that, I'm not saying that's not okay. You can deal with those things. But we, we also can rest in the truth. And so I say, welcome the skeptics. And so and when you talk to your friends about those things, like be mindful. Like, what is the media saying right now? Is there a new movie on Jesus coming out? And is it one that lines up with the Bible or is it not one that lines up with the Bible? What is happening around us so I can be informed and have these conversations? No, I don't, do I think me just saying that in a soundbite or, or standing up here for 30 minutes, if you're lucky tonight, not 45, do you think I'm going to convince you of all the answers? Like, oh man, he just solved the problem. No, I don't think that at all. But what I do think is as you seek Jesus, as you have faith in Jesus, that the clarity will be revealed in the midst of your mystery, of your questioning, and your uncertainty. I'll be transparent. I've been there. I've had my days where I'm questioning. I've had my days of uncertainty. And go, God, what is this? But every single time I, I press into Jesus, I seek Jesus, I have faith. And without a doubt, there's always clarity brought to the mystery. Look down at verse 7 where he goes. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And so Paul is saying here that because of this truth, because of this mystery that has now been revealed, you... Yes, you, sojourn, you get to now be a conduit and minister of this message just as Paul himself is. And so Paul was given this responsibility to preach. He was given the responsibility to go and to proclaim the gospel. And he regards us as a burden, once again, not as a burden in the negative sense, but as a gift of God's grace, which resulted in him willingly serving because of the grace that he first received. And so Paul recognizes, I did nothing to deserve the grace that I received. I should have had the opposite, but I received this grace, and so I willingly, with joy, want to go and share this message with others so they can also receive this grace. And so although his mission and calling were unique, the implication for every single one of us is that we are also disciple makers, and we are to see it as our mission is also a gift of grace, and that we are to be good stewards of the grace that's shown to us. Grace not only saves us, it recruits us for the mission and empowers us for the mission. Grace connects us to Christ, it connects us to one another, and it enlists and empowers us for the mission. And we as sojourn, we hope the same. That some of you will take this message to those that have no idea about the staggering truths that are promised in in the gospel. Think of it this way, our religion is not one of works, but it must be one of action and of grace. We've all been given grace, and how wrong of it is it for us to hoard that grace? This is one of the challenges and struggles that I have as, a, as an individual, as a pastor. As I meet more and more people, and I try not to sh- throw judgment, but I hear them, and who is it you're meeting, and can you give me names, and how are you sharing? And so many people just, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's, that's your job as a pastor. That's the missionary's job. And I'm like, whoa, what, what Bible have you been reading? This is the job of every single person, whether you're a student, or a mom, or a barista, or a pastor, or a garbage man, or any of these things. Like all of us, if you're in Christ... You're Jew or you're Gentile, you're male or you're female, you've been given this role to go and to share the message of the good news of Jesus. In verse 8, he says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery of hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this initially might sound like an attempt at false humility. If you know anything about Paul, he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. And you're like, okay, yeah, the, the least of all the, like, sure, Paul. But he's pointing back to his background, his story, to realize, like, I am not the guy that you would have thought who would have written all these books. I'm not the guy that you would have, you would have voted in high school who would go on to plant all these churches. That wasn't me, but it was Jesus all over me. And then he's further explaining his sense of thanksgiving and amazement for the commission that he received as Christ's ambassador to the nations. Right? That didn't have to be part of his story. God could have saved him radically and then 
done something else with them. But he's recognized, man, God had grace upon grace and had called me to go and do this. And so he's saying that God first revealed himself to me. I have now revealed who God is to you, to, to you Ephesians and Ephesus and to us here in Portland and Sojourn. And now you get to reveal him to the sphere of influence around you. So that's what God is, is calling Paul to. And that's what Paul and God is calling us to. In other words, you and I get to make the manifold wisdom of God known to others. Once again, there's people all over our city that there's this mystery. They're confused. Think about all the cloudy days that we get here and then sometimes the foggy mornings. That represents our city. And, and we have the light, the clearness that shines through that. And he's saying, you now have this gift of grace. Now go share it with others. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Those are some really strong words, but I agree with it 100%. That's why I want us to be known as a church that proclaims this message every single person. We're not going to be a church that's just built on one individual or one type of gifting. Every single person, all hands on deck as we spread this message in our city. And we aren't just giving the truth, but we're also, we're, think about it this way. You are a pioneer for truth. We're in an area, think about pioneered uh, the Pacific Northwest. We get to pioneer this truth. And this is where we see radical and authentic Christianity start to become really good news for our lives. A friend of mine says it this way. God has not revealed truth in your life to only save you, but he has revealed truth in your life to send you. And so that's what we're about here. Yes, we're all about proclaiming the truth. We're going to proclaim it week in and week out, but we're also going to send you out every week. This is why we do a miniature commissioning at the end of our services, which is traditionally known as a benediction. But we want to make sure that we don't just get stuck in the routines and we just send you back to the stress of life. And all right, now I've got to figure out dinner plans and, and what we got to do before school tomorrow. Oh, no, it's spring break. And so now i got to figure out those plans. Like, we don't want to just send you back into that. We want to make sure that we come in here and then since we get recharged. Like, this is a time that we get to celebrate what God is doing, regardless how many people are here. That God has let us come here. We get to pray together. We get to fellowship. We get to sing songs of worship to God. we got to remember that. Too. We're singing to God. We're not singing to one another, we're singing to God. We get to come in and, and, and look at his word. We get to share in the breaking of the, of the bread and, and the taking of the cup. And then we get to be sent back out so that we can proclaim this message day in and day out. I want some of you to step out in boldness and to share Christ with someone this week. Think about those people. And you've got to know them. If you don't know them, come talk to me. I know I'm an extrovert, but I'll help you figure out how do you like, make lists and get to know people's names. How do you talk to strangers on the elevator and the max line? I know I'm one of those weird guys. It's like, oh, sorry, you got earbuds in. I was trying to learn your name. But I'll teach you how to do those things. Like evangelism 101, that's the best step is just like, hey, what's your name? I'm Matt. We'll go from there, and we'll figure out the rest. You know, Easter's coming up. We're four weeks away, and so I, I'll probably send out something this week. Maybe I'll put it on our blog. I want to be really intentional about just praying for that people will encounter. I feel like even in a city like ours, this is the one time a year that I feel like people are a little more receptive and open. And, and you know what? I'm like most of you. I sit back and go, no, they're not. They don't care. But let's pray that they do care. Let's pray that something will come to their heart, something will come to their mind, and that God would start to unlock this mystery for them and bring clarity to them instead of us always turning it down, saying, God, I believe that you can do that. And my strength and my power and their strength and their power, you're right. They have no ounce of care. But by God's Spirit working in the city, they will care. So let's pray for that together. In verse 10, he says, So through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's wisdom is beyond our understanding. Hopefully you say amen to that. It has many facets and aspects like an intricately cut diamond. 
His redemptive purposes, he tells us, they're of interest to the angels and the entire host of heaven who are better to glorify God because they behold the wonder of what God has done in creating his church. God is the ultimate agent who makes this mystery known, but the intermediate agent is us, his church. I've told you this before in previous weeks as I studied the letter of Ephesians. The church is all over it. And so I've got friends who have gotten away from the church and they believe that it's just us and Jesus. But I read this and I say, yes, there's open interpretation. Maybe we have church in a house, in a stamp building, under a tree. There's all kinds of ways that we can be a body of believers, but I can't get away from the church. We, we, we can't separate the body from the head, Jesus. And so the church, the community of people can be properly understood. And if you think about when you're with a group of people, Normally, most of us operate this way. You think, how can I take advantage of, of this group? We may not think, it's, think it that way, but it's how can I benefit? Right? Okay, you want me to join your club? You want me to just read this book with you? You want me to do these things and give my extra time? Like, how do I benefit from this? And Paul says, this community, the church, it doesn't exist for you. It doesn't exist for me. But to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world around us. We are a counterculture when we understand what it looks like when Jesus is Lord. You know, we're the, we're the one group, we're the one institution that doesn't exist for its members. We exist for those that are non-members. And people ask, why should I be involved in the church? Because that's the only way that you'll know that Christ and His experience is power. Plus, you have a role to play. There's a part of Christ in you that I need to see. And if you're not actively participating engaging in the body, then I won't see it. We'll have a body with a missing member. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of have a limp as a church because the, the, everyone's not fully engaged in the body. The church is God's demonstration to the community for all eternity. We, the body, regardless how big or small, we are a demonstration to the world around us. We should offer something. We should have something and get to the place where our fellowship is so sweet that the people around this building just go, man, I don't know what it is. I'm not a fan of church. I don't know what they're smoking or what they're selling, but I want to be part of that because there's something sweet happening with that group of people. The angels see God taking the Jews and the Gentiles, the slaves and the frees, the male and female, and together, think about all those groups of people, and that would have included us, they murdered the Messiah, and they were only worthy of hell, and these groups previously hated each other, and by that very cross that they murdered Jesus on, one spiritual body comes out of it under the banner of Jesus. And so they see that Jesus breaks down every single barrier, every single wall that divides, and he makes them believers from every age and circumstances, one in Jesus Christ. People who know Christ have had a wall torn down. Because Remember we looked at the wall last week. It was in the passage, not the one that our government's building. And we realized that we were all on the outside. None of us were insiders. So that, that wall, if you want to think of it this way, and I'm not trying to get political, but what it represents, we are the ones who are trying to get through, and they're building this wall up. But we all put ourselves outside of that wall. We all excluded ourselves from the access to God. And Jesus came, he rescued us, and he tore down that wall. Church, we are to be a picture of the new humanity in Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We get to be the new picture to humanity in Jesus. Now, it's not a perfect picture. It's kind of tilted on the wall a little bit, but God has ordained it this way, and we get to be active members and participants in this. In verse 11, he says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Christ is central to the plan. Christ is the central figure, both in what the church and Paul are revealing for the world. And Christ separates us from every other single religion. No other religion has a central figure bearing the curse that we all deserve and then giving us his righteousness. 
And so you think of our city, right? One of the least religious cities, but we're also very spiritual. And you meet people, and Buddhism seems to be the, the most popular one. But there's a way that we can distinguish ourselves from every other group, every single religion, because none of them have the central figure. None of them have Jesus. And when people ask, well, how is Christianity different than any other religion? We can point to this. No, not all the religions are the same. But we have a different message from every single one. All the other religions point to things that, that you do. Right? And Christianity say, no, it's, it's been done. It's been done in Jesus. And so we don't, think about this, we don't have a gospel without Christ, and we don't have a church without Christ. And this passage is showing us how connected they are. We cannot divorce the body of Christ from the head of Christ himself. And if somehow that's not enough for us, Paul goes on to encourage the discouraged Ephesians, and he goes on to encourage us by saying, you have access to God. Come before him boldly with confidence. We don't have to come before God with trembling. We have access to God daily. And this is where I get convicted, and where I'm even opening up myself to say, how often am I accessing God? I have access to him from the time I wake up all day long when I engage with my problems and my concerns. But usually I find myself doing what we saw the, ex, uh, the Israelites do in the book of Exodus. I find myself murmuring after God, even he's provided food and he's provided water and continues to provide. I find myself complaining, but we have access to God that we can seek him regardless of what is happening around us. And hopefully by now you recognize that the only one who truly deserved the full access to God was the one who was abandoned and forsaken by God so that you could gain access to God. And this is the gospel message. Paul ends this section this way in verse 13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul says, don't lose heart. Ephesians, sojourners, don't lose heart. Remain faithful, even though I, Paul, am probably going to die. Paul knew the trajectory of his life. Paul knew he was headed towards death. Most of us, we're going to die at some point, but we're probably not going to die for our faith. And so he's saying, don't lose heart. Remain faithful, even though you're in a challenged environment. And he's challenging us to rest in the sovereignty of God by allowing his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel that Paul preached was Christ and his church. Benjamin Merkel says this, The New Testament church is not merely a parenthesis in God's plan. Rather, it was always an integral part of God's eternal purpose. And so while God's eternal plan may focus on the church, the center or apex of that plan is His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. R. Kent Hughes says this, The bottom line is the church is not an option for believers, nor is supporting it an option. I'm not saying that you have to go to church to be a Christian, but you also do not have to go home to be married. However, if you do not frequent your home, your relationship will be in jeopardy. You hear that quote, and you might, you might interpret it wrongly. I put that on Twitter this week, and so I kind of got in a little exchange with a friend. It was like, man, he's saying you have to go to a service or a building to be a church. Like, no, that's not what he's talking about. But I will say this. This is what I responded to. I said, don't go home for a month and spend time with your wife and tell me how your marriage is going. And so the point isn't that you come to this on Sunday nights or even that you come Thursday nights to our gospel community. But the point is that you're engaged with the body of Christ. So followers of Jesus, I want to challenge you this way. I don't want you to only know the truth which Paul has all throughout here. But I actually want you to rest in this truth. For some of you, even right now, maybe this week, there's a war raging on in your heart and your soul about truth. And you say, I know the truth, and I recognize the truth, and I'm a follower of Christ, but I just, I don't know, something's just weighing on me heavily right now. Maybe there's some questioning and anxiety that you're dealing with, and it's caused you to question what you know as truth. And my encouragement is, as Paul's encouragement, is don't just know the truth in your head, we can all do that. We can. Use, I went to seminary, right? That's like what you do at seminary. You, you fill your head with knowledge. You're like, I know this stuff. But it's never really permeated in your heart and your, and your soul and your mind. But I want to encourage you to rest in the truth in your heart and allow the truth to change every aspect of your life. God is a big God. I never actually have a problem with people questioning God. People are surprised when I say that. I'm like, it's God. 
For God's sake, it's God. If you need to question God, question God. God can handle himself. God doesn't need me to be the one that convinces you. God can do that. That's where he reveals himself. And for those of you that maybe you're not, you're, maybe you're, you're not a follower of Jesus or you're just not sure, I challenge you to surrender to this truth. God's truth is truth whether we like it or not, or whether we recognize it or not. It's truth. And Paul is desiring that you surrender your life to this truth. And if that describes you at all, please talk to one of us. Fill out a connect card. Let us know, like, I'm wrestling through this, and I'm not sure. So as a way of response tonight, as we commonly do, we're going to move into a time of celebration and reflection through the taking of the elements of communion. And this is a reminder for us when we take this meal and we break off the bread that Christ's body was broken for us, for us and for all mankind. And as we dip the bread into the wine or the juice that Jesus' blood was shed for us. And so for us, we like to say this is a family meal, meaning that any person who has believed or trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ is invited to the table. I never want us to just get used to this part of the service. I never want to just become uh, kind of like a check sheet, like we show up and we set up the tablecloths and the coffee and we set out these elements. I don't ever want to become that because this is a time to reflect. Reflect on what Christ has done. Maybe you have forgotten that in the busyness of life. Or maybe you're questioning some of these elements of truth. Reflect on that. Celebrate that. Maybe there's something you need to get off of your heart and your mind. And you, and you just don't feel like, man, I don't feel like I should take it right now. I feel like I need to get forgiveness with someone else. Or I just need to confess some things. I know you know you don't all know me at a you know, certain level but of, of trust, but I will be in the back. So if, if you just need someone to share with, I'm here. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, I understand. And so what I'm going to do is I'll pray for us. We'll respond through taking of, of the elements. And then we'll have Mandy come up and lead us in a final song of response. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We are a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. If you'd like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, reach out to us by emailing info at sojournpdx.org or check out our website. We look forward to hearing from you soon.